Welcome to All Places Together. Here we believe that our lives are connected to one another and rooted in God's inclusive and expansive love for diverse creation. I'm Colleen Montgomery, pastor of All Places Together and podcast host. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. Today's episode is Designing with God. In today's episode, we are continuing our exploration of questions, and our guest today is going to help us explore how questions and listening to one another can help us create something new, um, particularly through the design process. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you all that combines both theology and faith and how we understand God's action in the world uh, together with some really practical tools of how questions can help make the world reflect God's love. I'm so excited to welcome Philip Ledour to All Places Together today. Phil uses he, him pronouns. Phil is the Director for Organizational Innovation for the ELCA Churchwide Organization. In his daily work, he uses design thinking tools to help the churches and churchwide dream of new and more effective ways to live into their mission. Phil has certifications in design sprint facilitation, equity-centered design, and user research methods from the Nielsen Norman Group. Phil is married to JD, and they live in Florida, and they have two cats named Linus and Oslo. In his free time, Phil likes to run, play guitar and banjo, and go on Disney dates with JD in the evenings. Welcome to All Places Together, Phil. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. So can you start us off with a little bit of an explanation of what design thinking is? Like, I think I have a general idea of it, and I think some of the listeners might too, but for someone who has no idea what design thinking is, can you uh, give us a basic kind of primer there? Sure. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do my best. So it's a framework for uh, creative problem solving, and I know that there are, gosh, probably so many uh, different frameworks to solve problems, but... Design thinking, I think, is unique uh, because it has uh, a set of tools that it comes with, but also a very human-centered sort of focus. So but it comes from various fields, like it stems from psychology and human-centered design, also like human-computer interaction. And uh, it really wasn't until like the late 80s that uh, David Kelly, who was the founder of IDEO, which is a design thinking sort of consultancy firm, uh, really sort of framed it and articulated it into the five-phase kind of approach that it is, which the five phases of design thinking are empathy, um, or empathize, define, ideate, prototype, and test. How beautiful that it begins with empathize. I don't know that I knew that or remembered that. Yeah, I think that's... Um, really one of the best aspects of design thinking um, and what different, like I said before, what differentiates it from other sort of like frameworks is um, that it is, uh, it's very human centered and it starts with empathy, empathy, which is really the research phase of it. But I really appreciate that they um, use the word empathy rather than research. So it's really about identifying 
um, the people that you want to learn from and finding ways to connect with them and better understand their experience before you define the problem that you want to solve. I can, in that explanation already, like there are just such clear, like, theological connections for me about, I think, what we try to do here at All Places Together of, like, understanding where different people are coming from and then also, like, how this can connect to, like, the church and really, like, the world as a whole right now about what we're able to do and dream of when we really understand one another at a deeper level. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, I think... The fact that this whole problem-solving sort of framework starts with listening, really, it does have those, like, theological components to it. I mean, because Jesus listened. I mean, I I forget the—I know there's stats, and I don't know—I don't—I'm not a theologian, so I don't really know the numbers, but isn't it like Jesus asked, like, over 300 questions and only answered, like, three or something like that? You know, I really should know those numbers because we are in the middle of this whole series about questions, but I don't know that number, but I'm going to look it up. But like, yes, it's the the general statement of Jesus asks more questions than Jesus answers is completely accurate. Um, And I'll find out those numbers and either include them somewhere in this episode or we'll get them on social media. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about that, too. Um, But I think I think it really is an encouraging thing that this framework that comes from or has been utilized in the product design, like digital product design world. I mean, like Apple, Microsoft, Google, all of these major, you know, billion dollar corporations have used design thinking to innovate. And, um, and it starts with listening, which is something that I actually think our church is positioned to do better than all of these other corporate uh, corporations. So I think that's really exciting. And it, it, it makes us sort of wonder, you know, with all the sort of pressures that church leaders have on their shoulders right now to have the answers and to make the thing and do things in a new and exciting way that attracts new people and all those sorts of things. What if church leaders were given the permission to just listen to people who haven't gotten to meet us yet and what would what would unfold just through the act of listening and i know that you in your work have had the opportunity to do that to have conversations with people who have not been connected to the ELCA or even any other church yeah we have we've done uh several different i guess research initiatives but also experiments um some directly with uh, church leaders and partnership. That's usually how we like to work is we sort of bring the tools and then the church leaders bring the context and all of the expertise to sort of fill in all of our blanks because none of us in innovation um, are ordained ministers right now. And so we really rely on that partnership to make these experiments meaningful. But um, with that said, we have done some field studies with uh, Gen Zers who have never met the ELCA before. We went to several different uh, universities around the country um, to ask them um, how they experience meaning, purpose, and belonging outside of uh, the church sort of context. And so we learned a lot from those um, 
from those interviews, from those surveys, um, a lot of the insights that we gained were not necessarily new uh, pieces of inf information for you know the uh, for church leaders in the ELCA who are already heavily invested in the lives of young people. They were like, "Yeah, uh, this is interesting," but uh, we already kind of knew a lot of this. But what we found was um, the most interesting thing about it was how quickly we could get some of those insights in a national sort of study. Um, it really only took us two months, two months with two people um, working full time on it. So uh, we learned a lot about how how the ELCA might be able to uh, create our own sort of set of primary research that we compare with secondary research around these trends. I think the last thing I would say about that sort of experience, though, is um, we relied heavily on campus ministers to help us figure out where are the best places to meet new people? Where are the university students walking? Where are their patterns? I mean, we sort of, they helped us. They were really our ethnographers and they kind of put us in the right position um, to, to talk to people who haven't met the church. So um, through their guidance, we set up a coffee stand that just said free coffee no questions asked. Um, well, it just said free coffee. And so um, when they approached, we sort of found the pathways for when they were going to and from class. And so that's where we put our coffee stand. And we had our little free coffee uh, sign and they would come up and we would start pouring them coffee and just be nice and um, uh, and just, you know, fulfill our promise there. But as we were pouring them coffee, um, we would you know, they would inevitably ask us, you know, what are you doing here? Who are you? That sort of thing. And um, we were initially informed or um, it was suggested to us that we don't divulge exactly who we are, that we're a religious institution. We had gotten some, uh, we had consulted with some research experts and it actually backfired on us because Gen Zers are so such savvy consumers because they have grown up with these mega corporations creating these hyper intricate algorithms that are designed to capture their attention. They have this muscle that no one else on the planet has to decipher and discern what is real, what is authentic, and what is uh, an attempt to capture, you know, their mm. at attention. Yeah. So they, they picked up on us so quickly that we're like, okay, we might as well just be honest and be real about who we are. And when we did that, it actually, we got more and more conversation, more and more um, uh, willingness to complete our survey and just, you know, spend the time to uh, talk to us about, you know, their experience and stuff like that. And, you know, a couple things stood out to us um, during that time was one, um, one university student who was um, uh, a hijabi woman said that um, she came to us and, and she, you know, we had some conversation. We told them about uh, who we are and what we were trying to learn. And she had uh, looked at us and, and uh, just sort of like sideways. And <laughs> she said that it's, it was really nice to see a Christian organization not yelling at people and slinging Bibles at people on their mm. way to class. And 
I was sort of taken aback and I had asked her like, is that sort of like a joke? Are you like, is that, are you serious? Does that actually happen? And she said, yeah, every day, like all the time. And so it speaks to that need for listening without expectation, without that transaction. Mm -hmm. Right now, churches are, again, church leaders are under pressure to have all the answers, to bring people to our thing, right? But everyone's doing that. Every church is doing that right now. Come to our thing. We've got the thing for you, for your spirituality. We are what you're missing. And that's not how Jesus did ministry. No. There were no expectations. It was just listening and living together. And it made us wonder what sort of needs, community needs around us are just being lost by not listening or, or listening without the expectation of like a transaction. Yeah. And that like what you're the transaction you're offering was the free coffee, but they could get it and walk away. Like there's not that ongoing like and now you we want this from you or. Yeah. Yeah. That's that a really good point. Um, it was definitely like a, a transaction. <laughs> it was definitely. A but not like a lasting but, one. But the yeah. I think the difference there is that we got to learn together about who they were and their experience. We offered them a, a gift card for coffee and we gave them free coffee on the spot. But we didn't ask them, OK, you know, um, Make sure to fill in your contact information. We're going to follow up with you and and invite you to, you know, a nearby ELCA congregation or things like or something like that. And I think that really yeah. garnered a lot of curiosity. And we've done that in other spaces, too, when we were learning about um, the metaverse and how that might be a space um, for belonging. And we conducted a bunch of uh, user interviews with people who had some type of spiritual or meaningful interaction in the metaverse, um, but had no affiliation with any sort of particular church or Christian denomination. And again, just the pure act of, of listening and, and without sort of any expectation of joining or being part of our thing, people really um, became curious about who is this church and what is the ELCA and what are you trying to do? Why are you in the metaverse and why are you talking to me? And also why are you paying me <laughs> to just listen to you uh, <laughs> or, or, you know, to be listened to. And um, I think, I think that's something that we have to get, we have to be okay with not knowing. I think, I think listening without expectation mm. is, is, um, really requires us to be okay with not knowing and being really open to um, the needs and pain points and desires of the people that we're trying to learn from and connect with. That is so profound. And I think where I want to take the conversation next is like the intersection of the listening that you have done outside of the church communities and like how the the wisdom and what you're able to learn there, like how that then helps shape the conversations that you have with church leaders who are trying to dream a dream, a new dream, um, or, or figure out a new way of doing things. Um, 
I know in my personal experience, um, I've been the one to ask or either have been asked, like, why do we do something the way that we do it? And like, inevitably, one of the answers that is always given is like, that's the way we've always done it. Um, And likely, like, there's more reasons behind doing things the way than we do. But, you know, it would take more time and more conversation and more listening to get there. And I think one of the challenges for church leaders right now is like letting go of like what we have done in the ways that we have always done it. And so I wonder in your work, if there are like particular questions that you ask to help churches, uh, like leadership groups or individuals, like move through the grief of like letting things go, but also helping them to be able to like understand and articulate for themselves why they think things might need to change. Yeah. So I think it's really difficult. I think, um, like you're saying, um, church leaders are designers. Um, they, and they're, they're designing. I love that. I don't know that we've ever really like thought about it in that way, but you're totally right. Keep going. Oh yeah. No, they are designers. They are designers of human experience through community and the experience of spirituality. And so, um, that to me, again, um, not that I know anything about the software, um, software world or digital product space, but uh, to me, there are a lot more variables in human experience design than a digital product design. Um, you're dealing with a lot of different shifting needs and emotions and historical sort of attachments to particular rituals and ways of doing things. Um, and, and people are attached to or connect their um, connection with God or attach their connection with God through some of those rituals and practices, which makes letting go and trying new things, uh, yeah, kind of complicated. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think one question that could be helpful, and it's actually something that comes from uh, the book Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've read Atomic Habits by James Clear, um, but it's really sort of like, I guess it's kind of like a personal productivity kind of book, but it really asks, um, who are you trying to become? And I think that's a good Mm. question for um, congregations or ministries right now is, who are you trying to become and what are the daily and weekly habits that you have set in place that are getting you closer to that thing or to who you're trying to become? Because inevitably, church leaders already innovate and they already are trying to connect deeply with their community. And there's already things that I'm sure get them closer to that goal. But also what we found is that there's also a lot of things that don't necessarily bring congregations or ministries to that place of where they want to go, who they really want to be and and who they want to be for. Um, and so that's that's an initial question that I think um, could provide or create some conversation. Now, after you've had that conversation, you can start taking some inventory, I guess, and say, okay, get with your people, your church council, your leaders, your members, and say, are we in agreement that this is where we want to go and who we want to become? What things are getting us there? What things aren't? 
And if there's any sort of disagreement, um, I think one thing that we're really missing in congregational life right now is evaluation. Mm-hmm. What sort of feedback have we gotten from our members or from outside people about how this program or, or ministry is serving them? Is there any sort of thing that we can point to to say, yes, this is, this is really serving the needs of the people that we're trying to connect with, or this isn't? And um, there's been a couple of really great stories that I think um, show how evaluation can be a really strong form of hospitality. And I just want to say, like, evaluation is something for me that is really terrifying. Like, I am a perfectionist and have a pretty intense inner critic. And so um, I am like... For all of those others who are like me out there, know that like I am taking a deep breath because I need that for myself. And also I feel like what you're speaking is going to be really uh, truthful and something we need to hear. So like deep breath team, let's keep going. Yeah. And thank you for that because that's, um, I don't want to make it sound like it's an easy thing because it's, it's not. And again, you know, um, our team continuously sort of learning from, um, the church leaders who are actually doing the work. Um, and uh, so, yeah, easier said than done when it comes to evaluation, because evaluation means that you have some sort of shared intent to change. And so that in yeah. itself is can be scary. Because it's not just celebration. Like, it's not just like, yay, we did it. Like that intent to change and reflect that that can be nerve wracking. Yes, that can totally be nerve-wracking for all the other reasons that we talked about, just the level of, of love and, and, um, and the feelings of familiarity and comfort that come with a lot of the wonderful things that we have going on as church. Um, but I think it can also be a form of hospitality for the people that we haven't met yet. And a story that I want to share is um, we talked to a... Uh, couple stories. Uh, we talked to a pastor a while ago um, when we were trying to investigate how how do um, leaders of, of digital communities um, learn about uh, their communities or develop and grow communities and, and those sorts of things. But we ended up talking to a pastor who had both a physical um, campus and a digital campus. And on their physical campus, they had... Um, a QR code at the entrance of their, of their, um, narthex. And it was just like, how are we doing? And then a big QR code for you to scan. And, um, they had set up somebody to respond to whoever fills out those surveys. They had a volunteer person that's going to monitor those, those surveys. And it was just a basic, basic, like, I think it was like three questions. Like, you know, what, uh, what service did you attend or program did you attend? Um, what was your experience and how could we have made it better? Like those three, three question survey, very simple, short, doable. And um, they had someone fill out the survey who had um, identified as non-binary. And it was someone who was just looking for a church um, and just sort of wandered in. And took the chance, and that's a whole other story, the, the psychological and emotional um, toll of walking into a church setting 
with people you've never met. Um, I don't know if we've really gotten to talk about the weight of that and what we're asking people to do when we're saying come to our thing. Yeah. It's that, that part of it is as, as hard as it is for us to let go of things. It's just as hard for new people who haven't met us to walk into our doors. Mm -hmm. So long story short, um, this person identified as non-binary and there were just some pieces of the service that they did not feel totally comfortable with. And it was actually going to influence them to leave early. So they left early and they just didn't feel comfortable enough to stay there. But they saw the QR code on the way out and said, oh, you know what? I'll just see if they actually care. And they filled out the survey and someone responded that day and um, ended up getting their contact information, calling them, having a good conversation. And that person asked um, the the person who attended... um, to if they would be comfortable coming and talking to the pastor um, and some of the church leaders about their experience, see how it could be uh, improved for next time. And now that person is has become part of their leadership team. Um, and it was that's incredible. All just because that church had made a a really specific, clear intent to say that we're not perfect and we're willing to change. And we want you to help us be better. That's so beautiful that they took that risk. And it makes me think of the importance of going to the margins and listening to those voices and bringing those voices into the center of the discussion. And that that person was brave enough to have that level of follow-up conversation is amazing to me. And I think just the Holy Spirit at work in so many ways. Yeah, and I think the point you make is um, really consistent with some of the things that we've been learning along the way, which, okay, so design thinking. Design thinking asks, who are you designing for, right? Equity design, which is sort of a, um, a just a different interpretation of design thinking. Equity design asks, who are you designing with? And making sure that the people that you are designing for aren't just people that you have in mind as you make the decisions, as you generate solutions, as you interpret your research data. Equity design says design at the margins, like you're saying, but also bring in the people that you're trying to connect with and learn from to be part of the research interpretation the idea generation and the decision-making so that you come out with something new and something useful and which is, which is the definition of, of innovation, or at least the one that we've used from Dr. Linda Hill in her book, Collective Genius. So innovation doesn't have to be super complicated. It can just be something new and something useful, but it becomes the likelihood of it being useful is dramatically increased when you involve the people that you're trying to learn from. The shift of for to with is so huge. And I think that is just like a shift that the our Lutheran church has been working on going through um, probably over several decades now. And I think is best um, really interpreted in terms of how we think about mission work 
about moving from like a more colonial aspect of like doing four. If we think about like what missionaries looked like in the 1800s um, and early 1900s in particular, but now shifting to what we talk about in the ELCA as accompaniment and this idea of coming alongside of people and coming with them rather than doing for them. It's so wild because I feel like, once again, I think our church is more advanced than we like to admit or like to believe. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know um, the history of accompaniment. Probably should. I don't. Um, I know a little bit about it, but... I don't know when it really came in I, to, like, our, our mission model either. I just know, like, when I was an English teacher in 2009, it was there and had been there for some time before that. Well, what I do know is that, so accompaniment uh, has those sort of, like, really it's like a praxis um, for how to see your neighbor, it's really the praxis of Jesus, I think, is is how it's sort of framed in some ways, was um, meeting your neighbor yes. in, in mutuality and interdependence and vulnerability, empowerment, um, so that you do things that are sustainable together. Um, and that's really, you know, if, if accompaniment is the praxis, I think design thinking could be the practice, because it has the specific tools that we could integrate into the framework or the, the theological concept of accompaniment. So I think it's sort of an exciting um, uh, integration for sure uh, to think about is how might we integrate um, our um, missional sort of practice of accompaniment with the tools of design thinking. Yeah, just like how the Holy Spirit can move um, from the idea of wanting to be with and alongside of people and then how, uh, how she can guide like that design process and use these tools to bring about something new that we never maybe would have thought of if we hadn't been truly with that group. Yeah, I agree. And that's, um, again, it's sort of the exciting part of the design process is, really getting to um, connect with people who have never met us. Or, I mean, of course you can run design projects with um, with current members or, you know, if you want to think of new ways to do things. But I think we as church do have a responsibility to try to listen to people who have not met us and get to learn from them and design new solutions with them um, and, and really go to them. I mean, we have this... Um, there's this concept of uh, third place in, in sociology. I don't know if you've, you're familiar with that. So, yeah. I think so. But I want to hear your explanation. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be great. But, <laughs> but really, uh, uh, third place is... So everyone has uh, two primary places of uh, where they spend their time most. And that's uh, at work and at home. But your third place is sort of you know, in this sort of uh, way, um, the place where you gather, where you have fun, where you exercise. So it could be like your third place could be your gym or your third place could be um, like a an online community or your third place could be your church for a lot of people. So 
bringing sort of like design thinking into the ministry sort of um, uh, into ministry life uh, helps us sort of think about, okay, well, how might we learn about where our community's third places are and where are our common third places outside of the church and how can we meet them at their third place and make a thin place of encounter with Jesus there. Mm. And what does that look mm-hmm. like? I mean, it could just be just going there and listening and and first just praying for people, you know? Um, if you're going, I mean, if it's like a local bar and that's sort of the spot for everybody, I mean, just go there, get to know people, talk to people and pray either just to yourself. You don't have to, don't have to do that with anybody else initially, but just pray on that place and make that third place a thin place and then see where the spirit guides you from there. Like you're saying, um, I think, I think it's really challenging because of our time constraints. We have so many bivocational pastors. We have so many two, three, four point pastors. It's really going to take more than just our ordained leaders to get involved in this type of uh, creative, innovative work. Um, I think we have to start seeing the church as both a place of respite and a place of mission, which we do, but what do our habits sort of say? And I think that's something that we need to start examining a little bit more closely. And something else really powerful, I think that comes from when Like I, as a Christian, when I go into a third place and make a connection with someone, I am able to see God in a new way, like in that person and from that conversation. And so it is not only about like me getting someone new to listen to the podcast, but it's also about like how my heart is changed, how my understanding of who God is and how God creates and how God works in the world is expanded. And so it also, you know, gives me a chance to grow in faith alongside someone else and like moves these like faith moments um, or like movements of the spirit. Just, it's not just about the hour on Sunday morning or the hour that you listen to the podcast, whenever that is throughout the week. Um, But that we're expanding the ways that we see God in all times, um, at all times, in all places, through all people as well. And that, and that transforms us as well as hopefully the people we interact with as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's, that's so well said. Um, and, and I think totally my, my experience too, in, in trying out some of these tools, I think that's so true. I think that it's really easy to get in the habit of feeling like the church Sunday morning, maybe Wednesday evening is where we encounter God. Um, and of course we know that God is active everywhere in all things, in all places. But I think to your point, when we make an intent Um, an intention of really trying to look for God in other places and other expressions and in other people outside of the church. I think that is where um, that those connections sort of take, take root. 
um, when you start seeing Christ in the other person at the bar, you know, or at uh, yeah. a pickup basketball game or something like that, um, you start seeing people differently and, um, and not for any, you know, specific sort of like, oh, an opportunity, you know, <laughs> like maybe this person could come to my church, but really a, a real chance to learn about where is where is God active in my community and where are people finding God without saying God's name um, in my community? And what does that really look like? And, and how, how might we be part of that in some way? We've talked about, you know, God's movement and God's presence, presence throughout this conversation. But I did just want to ask, like, are there other ways that you think about God being at work in the innovation process? Or if there's other like elements of your faith or your understanding of God that are really important for your work? Yeah, so I love how Henry Nouwen um, describes God's existence. God is at the center and beyond all human experience. And um, I think that is something that for me being a relatively introverted person who likes to have their routines and likes to have uh, some predictability in their schedules, like design thinking creates a little bit of anxiety for me, but knowing that God is present in the process um, really sort of gives me some comfort knowing that God is in the midst of us when we are listening to each other and we're trying to connect, but also uh, God is beyond whatever solutions that we have thought up in our head after, you know, a five minute conversation with someone we've never met. Um, design thinking sort of makes sure that we are listing out and, and diverging as many ways as we can before we converge and bring all of our disparate ideas together into one sort of cohesive thing that relates directly to the needs of the people that we were just listening to. Um, and that takes a lot of trust. You have to trust in yourself and, and trust as, as a group that you have something to, um, something will come out of this and you're not going to know until you go through the process. And, um, it's not going to be perfect too. I think a really important point about design thinking is that it's all iterative. It's not a linear process. It's a continuous process of listening and generating ideas and deciding on something to try and trying it out and getting feedback and being open to doing more listening and trying again. And I think that is a really difficult thing too, um, because our, our church, as a church, we operate in sort of a seasonal, kind of a cyclical sort of pattern. Um, and so when one thing works one year, it feels very motivating or obvious to kind of do the same thing the next year. And that could be true. It becomes a tradition. Yeah, right. Um, but when you created that thing last year, who was it for? And maybe that's good that it's serving the same people next year. But I think it's an opportunity for us to reflect on who was it for and, and who designed it. And um, is anybody missing from that table or from that invitation? And also this concept of iteration, it doesn't have to be forever. It's okay if something, we try something and it doesn't work. And in fact, that's great. That's actually, we're going to get more information from our failures than our quote unquote successes. 
You're preaching to my soul. Keep going. <laughs> um, and I think I think the uh, the gift of design thinking is that the testing side of it doesn't it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be some big initiative. And I think you know. Gosh, all of us uh, in all expressions of the ELCA have committed. I, I myself um, have uh, been prone to trying, wanting some big plan, some big initiative, some big thing to say, this is the way forward and this is what we're going to do and this is what church is going to look like in the, in the future. But ministry is so contextual. How could we possibly know what is right for a congregation in Minot, North Dakota, and our congregation in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I mean, there's, it's just not sustainable. It's not going to be relevant to the lives of those people. And so it really take, takes leaders on a, a more localized level to say, okay, what's, what's a way that we can learn with, learn from people that we haven't met yet? And how can we involve them in the process of generating some ideas as to how we might better connect in the future and what's the smallest, fastest, most affordable way to test this idea out and see if it has any legs before we even bring it to church council or something? I don't, you know, I don't really know. But, um, but I think that's, that's one thing that is a really uh, something that I think we need permission for. And it's something that's new mm. to us is that it's okay if it's not forever. Yeah. And I... And, 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 and as you were sharing all of this about, like, in particular, you know, what it looks like for church life and listening and trying the new thing and it doesn't have to be forever, we don't have time to go down all of these rabbit trails in our conversation today, but I'm just, I'm seeing all of these parallels to think about, like, what that looks like um, for those people who are married or for, like, really close friends who might be trying to figure out like a new season in like relationships in one way or another for parents as they, you know, are trying to figure out how to be better parents for the kids that they have. Like, I just, I see so many parallels of, of how this conversation that we've had today about the church and how God would be present in all of those other like situations as well as we were perhaps trying to find ways to move forward in those places too. Yeah, I think, you know, some of these tools, and I haven't really talked about like specific tools, but there's tools, um, if you're curious, um, that I think could totally be used in an interpersonal relational sense or, you know, ministry context, which of course is relational too, um, just a little bit broader, I think. Um, but one thing that we've used... Um, couple things that we've used um, consistently to just sort of like convey the idea of how to visualize your experience of a particular event or program or moment or something like that is um, there's this tool called a day in the life where you identify a really particular moment of experience and you have, if you can sort of picture um, uh, sort of like a, on a piece of paper, on the left-hand side, you draw a vertical line up and down, okay? And on the top of that line is a plus sign, and the bottom of that line is a minus sign or delta, whatever you want to call it. And then in the middle of that is a horizontal 
line. So you, so there's a vertical line that sort of um, measures uh, positives and negatives, and then the horizontal line measures time. And so you ask someone, let's say you ask someone, okay, what was your experience of walking, um, entering the church on Sunday morning? Sort of thinking about, did anybody greet you or those sorts of things? Or what was your experience of, of uh, walking into the church on Sunday morning? Very specific sort of moment. And they would, they could talk about, um, well, somebody... Um, uh, smiled at me at the parking lot. And so that was like a little high. And so they would draw a line at the beginning of their experience, the beginning of that horizontal line, they draw it up to say that was a really uh, good experience just seeing a friendly face. And, but then when I entered through the doors, nobody said anything to me and I wasn't sure where to go or where people were gathering. And so I kind of walked around and uh, I, I was just sort of anxious and nervous. So then the line would kind of go down and then it might go up because you really love that pastor's sermon. And that was awesome. And it really connected with you and, and your values and, and uh, felt like a really good connection. Um, and so that was back up. And then it's sort of like flatline because it was just sort of like things kept going and that was cool. And so now, now your congregation or whoever you're talking to has very specific um, joy points and pain points to say, oh man, what could we do better there? Oh, you know what? We need to make it more obvious for where people gather when they first enter the doors because we've got this big building and it's kind of a maze. And so we need to have some proper science to make people comfortable and make it obvious. Um, so that's one way you can use it, but you can also use it more traditionally as a day in the life. So you literally could ask somebody, what did you do yesterday? And they could just talk to you about when they woke up, what happened? I was really tired. I didn't get much sleep last night. And so they would draw a line down or, you know, I went to work and it was great. And then I had dinner um, with my partner and that was nice too. And so you still could get sort of a visual representation of their highs and lows of the day um, that you could talk about and see, you know, you know, what you could, how you could support them or um, how their day may be, you know, better um, with your, you know, with your supporters, something like that. I love that. That is such a fun tool. I don't know if that makes sense just purely through audio, but I hope the visual is there. <laughs> so I've got one last question for you here at the end of our time together, Phil. And, you know, here at the end of APT episodes, we like to make a clear connection back to the Bible. So I wonder, what is your favorite biblical question? It can be something that Jesus asked. We've already talked today about how many questions Jesus asked or someone asking Jesus something like anywhere in their Bible that there's a question mark. What's your favorite biblical question? Yeah, so I, I think this is a personal sort of one. I, I think going back to uh, the design thinking process, kind of pushing against my desire for predictability and wanting to have answers that, you know, I just don't have access to with my limited lived experience um, to some of the problems that we're trying to solve. So um, the one that I always come back to is um, when Jesus is preaching and um, during the Sermon on the Mount and um, asks the, ask the disciples, you know, why are you anxious about all these things? Um, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow they don't toil or spin, yet I tell you, 
you know, even Solomon in all his glory was not uh, clothed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more um, clothe you? And so I think um, that sort of invitation to trust, uh, trust God and trust that um, there is, there's beauty on the other side um, of these super complex problems. And there's relationship in the midst of all of it. I think that's a real gift that we've talked about is this first step in relationship, which is, or first step in design thinking, which is listening and empathizing and being open to, to the Holy Spirit uh, guiding you through the process and, and um, with you in the data, you know, and, um, and with you when there's disagreement and debate on how to move forward and what to do next. Um, I think, I think that this, this first always, I just always come back to this one as sort of like, okay, it's just, this is a trust process and I need to get better about trusting you, Lord, and knowing that there's good things all around this uncertain sort of outcome. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I also just love that it's, you're sharing that in the season of spring. Um, you're probably farther along in spring down in Florida, but here uh, in Virginia, things are really just starting to bloom. We've had daffodils for a few weeks and the trees are starting to bud and bloom. And so we can really see how God is creating new things in nature around us and just have that reminder that God is doing a new thing in us and among us as well. It's a beautiful question for us to remember today. Thank you. So, Phil, if there is someone um, who wants to be able to get in touch with you, maybe to ask you to help connect them with someone to help innovate in their congregation or their community, is there a way that people can can reach out? Yeah, so you can uh, reach our team at lab, L-A-B, at elca.org. Um, our team is constantly monitoring our inbox, so um, we try to get back to everybody within uh, one to two business days. Um, so we'll try to get back to you as soon as possible. If you want to reach uh, out to me directly, my email is philip with two L's, dot ladour at elca.org. Thank you. And thank you again, Philip, um, for coming on the podcast today to share your experience with design thinking and also the way that your faith, that your your deep faith influences the work that you do. You've been an inspiration to me. You've given me some good ideas, and I'm sure the rest of the community feels their same way as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You've given me a lot of inspiration too, Colleen. for trusting the process.
Holy God, you created all that is and you gift your people with sparks of creativity and the skills to design, engineer, and build. You invite us to be co-creators with you and to reshape the world with your love and peace. Open our hearts to understand the experiences of others so that we can join in designing together. And when things seem to go sideways, fall apart, or we can't see the way forward, help us to trust in you and in the process. Assure us that your spirit is guiding us and death and resurrection is one of your favorite ways to work in the world. So let's get to it. Let's design together. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. We hope you experience God's love for you and the world in today's episode. I want to give a big thank you to Pastor AJ Hausman of another podcast that also digs into big questions about faith. That's the 10 Foot Pole podcast. And she had me as a guest this past week. And the episode's going to come live this week. So be looking out on our social media this week. I'll be sure to share it. The conversation that we had explores all of the different ways that we can name God, which is something we've talked about pretty recently here as well. So I encourage you to check out that podcast, especially if you are a lectionary-based preacher. Her podcast is amazing. I'm excited to welcome everyone to Zoom Worship with All Places Together for Easter, which is next month. We'll gather on Monday, April 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, APT gathers on Monday night so that Easter Sunday can be spent with family, friends, and traditional faith communities. By meeting on Monday, more of our listening community and social media community are able to join in. There's a sign-up sheet available on social media to get the Zoom link. It's linked in our bio on Instagram, and it's a pinned post on Facebook. If you're not sure about taking communion, that's okay. You are welcome to be with us either way. And feel free to let me know if you have any questions. Thank you to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and people like you who give regularly to support the ongoing work of All Places Together. If you'd like to give for the first time or for another time, simply go to our website, allplacestogether.org. If you scroll to the bottom, there's a button there that says Give Now. Click that and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. Small one-time gifts of $5 or $10 or monthly gifts of the same amount add up to make a big difference. We know it can be hard to give financially, and we celebrate all of the ways you share the stories of all places together with the people in your life and engage with the APT community throughout the week. I hope you'll also remember that your word-of-mouth recommendations are the best way to get new people listening to the podcast and to help our community grow. So if you've heard something that was powerful and encouraging for you today, or you thought, gee, my, my uncle who's on church council, like he needs to hear this, like send this episode to him. It would mean the world. Until next time, remember that God is with you and loves you, wherever, whoever, and however you are.